Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim, and every week I'll be bringing you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. We've got some fantasy and CGI for you this week as we look back at Ace Lightning and Shoebox Zoo. And we take a special look at one of CITV's most iconic shows, Bernard's Watch. We'll celebrate this show and how it gained such a huge following in the 90s and 2000s. So, let's get started. And uh, joining me as ever, it's producer Paul. Hey man, how's it going? I'm alright, thanks. How are you? Yeah, it's been a busy old week, but it's um, but it's good. There's um, some good, good and bad to play with today. <laughs> I agree, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what we agree and uh, disagree on. Oh, we mostly as disagree, ever. to be fair. So. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We might be on the same page for once. I, I do think there's, yeah. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll get into that. Um, just wanted to say uh, before we uh, start, I just want to talk about Diego Maradona a little bit. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's just yeah. Literally, all of a sudden, I mean, it sounds weird, but all of a sudden, it's come come completely out of the blue, right? Twenty twenty, anyway. you done did it again. I mean, I don't know about you because you're not. I know you're not the biggest uh, football fan in the world, but like for me. Like Diego Maradona is like, if he's not in your like top five of all time, then you need to go back and do your list again. I even remember like my dad used to talk about him a lot when he was uh, when I, when I was growing up, and obviously being from England, you often hear about 1986 and sad, pathetic little Englanders who who are all saying, "Oh, Maradona's a cheat! Maradona's a cheat!" and it's like with the hand of God, right? Yeah, and it's like, well, in 1966, in the World Cup final, Jeff Hurst scored an illegal goal. Three men were on the line and could have told the referee that the ball didn't cross the line. But they celebrated like the ball did cross the line. So uh, and I think Maradona even made a point of this as well. So it was like, don't judge me. You know what I mean? Like England won the World Cup with an illegal goal that didn't cross the line. So he's like, don't, don't come with me with that hand of God and all of that stuff. And it's like, if Peter Shilton, who's six foot tall and Maradona was five foot five, if you let a five foot five man out jump you, then you deserve, <laughs> quite frankly, yeah, you deserve all of the, the bad luck in the world. And I'm sure Peter Shilton's going to go on a massive press run and talk about that hand of God incident. And I mean, like some of the like obituaries in the media in this country has just been so horrible. Really? Yeah, they're like, oh, there lies this man who was a liar and a cheat and this and no this. No way. Like, absolutely. He's, they've only just buried him, what, yesterday or today even. It's he's like, they've already. Still, yeah. The body's still warm and they're still like trying to throw in their licks and throw in their punches. And it's just like, how small minded must you be? Yeah, I mean, look, there's always going to people going to be people that are heartbroken by football, you know, especially when we go out. You know, we go out every year, so we, every four years in the World Cup, so we probably should be used to it by now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I can understand why people get a little bit upset about the one incident, but it was a great. It was a great. Even I knew he was a great footballer. Um, I saw some of his skills, um, and uh, I mean, 
on the other side of it, I mean, we don't have the best history of, with Argentina either. So, so yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I'd I'd have been amazed if the Falklands War doesn't come up soon. Yeah. Some of these uh, references to uh, the one uh, player from uh, Argentina that seems to be living in our heads rent free. But like, even as a footballer, if you look at like some of the stuff he accomplished, like I think in 1986, regardless of what you think of that handball goal, he probably had the best World Cup run of all time. He dragged a pretty average Argentina side to that World Cup. If you look at, I think, the teams of the day, I think West Germany was strong. They they beat Belgium in the semi-final and, and Belgium were pretty decent then. He pretty much... England were, were fairly decent as well coming into that World Cup. So it was one of those where he dragged Argentina to a World Cup. So they won and it that year, right? Yeah, they won the yeah. World Cup that year. They, they beat West Germany 3-2 in the final. And it was one of those where... And then I think after that, he joined Napoli. And that was where he was like... He got like cult status in Napoli. And again, Napoli were a pretty small team. They weren't compared to... And this is when I think when Italian football was at its strongest peak. You had like the two Milan sides who were really good. Juventus were good. And he ended up winning the Serie A title, the Scudetto, twice. And won a European Cup, the UEFA Cup, with uh, Napoli, I think, in 1989. So all that in- like incredible stuff that he accomplished. And even as a youngster, one of my earliest memories of football is the World Cup in 94 when he scored um, that goal. And then he runs up to the camera and he's you can literally see like he, there is something quite off with him. Even as a kid, I was like... Watching that go like, ah, what's, what's this? But I'm still watching that goal thinking, what a goal. And, you know, early memories of the World Cup and all that. And it's like, oh, wow, this Argentina side might do something. And then he was subsequently suspended and um, he got taken out of that uh, of that World Cup. And I think it suffered. I think Argentina suffered with that. And yeah, he was he was such a good player big part of my childhood because obviously you would just watch loads of um videos and and lots of like documentaries about um maradona and the world cup and you know football legends i've probably got all the football legend books all the profiles and it's you know talking about how amazing he was and uh i think he was manager of argentina in the 2010 world cup and bless his soul it was like sorry i'm gonna play all the attacking players and forget about defending. And then once they ran into a very good team, they just kind of came a cropper. But um, no, he was, yeah, Maradona is a legend. I think he was one of those. He was um, used to speak out against injustice as well. So he was kind of always for the Palestinian cause, would wear a T-shirt saying Bush is a war criminal. He was one of those. He was kind of down with social. He was like, you know, with socialism, and it was yeah. He and, was... and he had the same haircut pretty much for like thirty odd years. Yeah, yeah, pretty good going. And he's got the tattoo of Che Guevara on his arm as well. So you could tell that like, Mario, he was a real one. And and obviously people want to talk about his flaws, and I guess he was flawed, but he wasn't one of those people who hid away from that. It was like, yes, I am flawed. I. I am not perfect. I am, I am human. So you, that... you'll have to correct me on some of the uh, the details here. But um, a few years ago, uh, Barclays were doing a get cash out, get a receipt, and enter a code to win football tickets promotion thing on their on their cash point. And anyway, so long story short, my friend had ended up just you know 
on the off chance just putting the code in and he won tickets and he went to see I think he said Fulham Man City when Maradona was doing something with City or something like that and anyway so he was sat in front of him he got pitch side seats and he was sat in front of him and he said um, that he turned around and he spoke to them and he shook their hands and like you know asked them how they were what they're doing and you know so you know that's a quite a cool story of like someone that you'd expect to be like a <laughs> you know could quite easily yeah. ignore them yeah, I mean, there's um so many. I think um there's one podcast that um a guy I know, a friend of mine, Musa Konga, does called Stadio, and they do a really good episode on Maradona. So it was um yeah, Musa, Ryan Hun, and Ian Wright. So if you guys are into that, definitely seek it out. It's on Spotify. Such a, a good, and um you learn so much about Maradona, and you obviously if you're a football fan, you can like reminisce on like all of the the great moments that Maradona had. So definitely go out of your way to um, go listen to that. And uh, we'll go to our regularly scheduled podding. And so we're going to start with uh, the special, Bernard's Watch. So we're going back to November 1997 and some of the things happening in the world. Mary McAleese is elected the eighth president of Ireland in succession to Mary Robinson. The first time in the world that one woman has succeeded another as elected head of state. In Des Moines, Iowa, Bobby McCauley, sorry if I said the name wrong, gives birth to septuplets in the second known case, where all seven babies are born alive and the first in which all survive infancy. Telecom companies Worldcom and MCI Communications announce a 37 billion dollar merger to form MCI Worldcom, which was the largest merger in US history. Flubber was in the cinemas and Torn by Natalie Imbruglia was in the charts. Surely you know this. Yeah, because um, my mum was a massive Natalie Imbruglia fan. Um, Really? Yeah, she used to listen to her all the time in the car. It's like, um, I mean, I I think she's great. She only had this one song. But she, I think <laughs> was that was was that the one where she she gave away like she said you can have this for free, um and basically gave it away and it kind of tanked her career. I don't know. Um. Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> I, I think she like she said like anyone can download download. I don't know how you get it for free, but anyway, she. Uh, this ninety seven. I don't know how you would have got this song for free unless you recorded it off the radio, literally. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, this this kind of song makes me feel a bit travel sick because I just remember being in the car listening to this on the radio. You know, it's a it's a pretty good song actually. It's I kind of like it. I kind of like this song. I couldn't tell you another Natalie Imbruglia song though. Bernard's Watch. So this was a British children's drama series about a young boy who could stop time with a magical pocket watch. The show was created by Andrew Norris and was produced for seven series that aired on CITV. The concept of the show originally formed the basis of one of the most famous episodes of The Twilight Zone, entitled A Kind of a Stopwatch, which was first broadcast in 1963. And in 1991, Alexander John Howard conceived of a series based on the same concept, but it took six years to get funding. The show eventually began as a single 15-minute episode, However, it was suggested it could work as a series. Four more stories were written by creator Andrew Norris, who thought in his own words, that would be it. However, he ended up writing six series. 
the original series aired from the 14th of November 1997 to 2001 and was produced by Central Television and Andrew Norris, who had also wrote the book Burner's Watch, which was a novelization based on the first three series, which was published by uh, Puffin. A couple of years after its original run, the show was revived for two more series and included a change to the format, new cast and filming location. And so the first run told of a young boy called Bernard, played by David Peachy from Oakwood, Nottinghamshire, who was always late until a postman gave him his magic watch, which could stop and rewind time. He soon found out that the postman had magical powers and that these watches were given to people who needed them. The rules of him keeping his watch were that he must not use it to commit crimes or hurt anyone. Every episode focused on Bernard or someone to whom he'd lent the watch facing a problem or simply doing day-to-day things and trying to sort them out using the watch. And then the second run was significantly different. And according to the final opening sequence, the watch simply flew through Bernard's window. The character of the postman did not exist. And Bernard seemed to be the only person in the world who had such a watch. His best, his best friend, Nathan, knew about the watch and the series revolved mainly around Bernard's school, Pent Up Primary, where he'd usually get the better of his bullying school teacher, Mrs. Yvonne Savage, and a popular girl called Nicolette. By the series, David Peachy... Yeah, so David Peachy wasn't in the uh, newer series and he actually moved away from a career in acting and was studying art in Venice. Ooh la la. As well as the TV series, Andrew, no- Andrew Norris also wrote a novel based on a series. And in the context of the novel, Bernard received the watch from an elderly aunt who had received it from her husband, who got it from an old friend. Although they never knew where the friend had acquired the watch, as by time he passed it on and had suffered a stroke and couldn't speak. Unlike in a TV show where using the watch was harmless, the watch has a subtle side effect on the user in that it uses up the iron in their blood, requiring regular users to consume iron vitamins on a regular basis, causing Bernard to collapse where he avo- when he avoids taking the iron-tainted drink provided by his aunt because he didn't like the taste and was unaware of the side effects of the watch. And on a personal note, Bernard is only living with his father as his mother died before the events of the novel. And Karen is also known as only having one parent. At the novel's conclusion, the watch is briefly stolen by a woman who once worked as a housekeeper for Bernard's aunt. And she's, but she's captured when the watch runs down as she tries to threaten Bernard for the key. And at various points throughout the book, Bernard's aunt dies in the penultimate chapter where her spirit appears to him after her death to tell him that the true purpose of the watch is for learning. And in the final chapter, Bernard uses the watch key on a chain his aunt gave him to wind it back up. Bernard and Karen enjoy the restoration of the watch as Bernard concludes that he has time to learn what she meant by that comment. And then obviously the characters of the uh, Bernard's watch. So the narrator was uh, Lisa Goddard, Bernard, the postman, John and Jane Beasley, who was Bernard's parents, granddad, and obviously Karen, who was his friend. So Bernard's watch. I wonder if this was an accidental hit with the older viewers um, at first, this show. Because it starts... So I'm not sure if the latter series, because I didn't watch them. I had no idea it was actually went on for so long. But the the beginning series certainly are like storybook style. 
you know, and it's very much for the younger viewers. You you find the programs and the cartoons. If you're telling, you're literally being told a story by a narrator, even though it's happening right in front of you. And that happens with very young, you know, younger viewing TV shows. So I just want, and I just wonder if it was an accidental hit with the older people because I remember this being amazing, and I remember not being able to stop talking about this. And even when I was watching it, I was like, what would I do with the watch? Um, and to be honest, I was thinking that. You know, Bernard was a little sod <laughs> with the watch, but I probably would have been as well. Um, one of the absolute pro moves he did in one of the episodes was stop the watch and have a nap. That was <laughs> absolutely that's great. That's a pro move. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, uh, as you can tell, I thoroughly I loved this show, man. And it was it was cool now. And I, it was it was great when I was a kid, like. It was really nice to revisit this show. I did not watch Bernard's Watch when I was a kid. No, what were you doing when you were a kid? I mean... at, at that point, like I like I've always kind of said, around about ninety seven was when I've kind of made the transition onto CBBC permanently. Wow, so that was out. slowly kind of yeah going towards um, CBBC and. In the kind of the cull and the sacrifice came me not watching Bernard's Watch. I mean, I knew of Bernard Watch growing up. I'd heard of it. I think I'd even knew what it was about. I may have even watched one episode. So this was your like learning about Bernard's Watch then this time around? To to a, a large extent, yeah. It's it's me watching it with um, new eyes, and initially the narration threw me off. I'm like, what? What narration? And and I and I thought that it wouldn't. Like like you said, it is catered to a younger audience with the narration, with um the way it's done. You can tell yeah, it's very storybook. It's very three o'clock at school when you're about to leave and you're hearing the story and you're waiting to go and you got to listen to the story first. It did feel a lot like a lot like that, but. I I watched it and I I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. And if I knew like back then if it was that good, I I'm certain I would have watched it a hell of a lot more than I did. And this show had a cult status like you would never believe. Never like 90% of people in my lifetime that I've ever spoken to about in terms of old school cartoons they will always talk about Bernard's watch. It will always be at the forefront of people. But for me, at that point in my life, I was yeah, kind of coming up to, I think, about nine, ten years old. And so I was slowly making that transition to not watching those sort of babyish kind of shows. And I was kind of moving on to that point, CBBC and whatever CBBC was showing at 4.30 or 4.15. I would be watching that and not Bernard's Watch, to be to be honest. And yeah, you know, maybe I'm kicking myself a little bit that I didn't watch this back in '97 and join in with the uh, the hype and the crowd. But uh, I watched it now with uh, relatively new eyes, and yeah, I liked it. It was 15 minutes long. Ain't gonna get complaint out of me. 15 minutes, shoot. <laughs> yeah. And the newer series was 10 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah, so I wasn't really clock watching. I wasn't like, oh my god. We'll talk about clock watching with some of the other shows later, but I wasn't like going, 
When this show gone finish, man. Damn. But um, no, this was Burner's Watch was great, man, and I respect it enough to where I'm not gonna put it in a head to head. I'm gonna give this show. We're gonna give this show its flowers and its recognition because it bloody well deserves it. Yeah, I think the the concept and everything else. I think it was kind of. And the techniques that were used at the time, obviously, it's only pausing the video and kind of playing the video again. And, you know, a lot of people standing very, very still. Yeah. But, you know, I don't remember anything that was like it, you know, especially real world stuff when I was um, when I was growing up. And it no, gave, yeah, this was it, one it of gave, its kind. And it's kind of given me a lifelong fascination of pocket watches now, you know, <laughs> I mean, just in case. What happens if it is that one? Everyone would love Bernard's watch, I think. Everyone would love it. Yes, I remember. Yeah, it likes to be a thing. Oh, I wish I had Bernard's watch. I think we had a uh, a stopwatch of that elk somewhere in our house. Really? Probably not. Probably like fake gold or something. Give it something like some some something that came out of like Del Boy's van or something. Yeah, but I don't think it was like six million pounds worth. Right, let's talk about episodes that we uh, watched. I watched four, so... Uh... Um, I watched two in a clip, but I can't remember what the clip was about. So, Sorry, uh, three in a clip. So I watched... Oh, oh, sorry, I wanted to say, um, I didn't know that Leslie Grantham was in Burner's Watch, a.k.a. Dirty Den. I only I only like watched um, episodes where it was just mainly the kids and they're basically messing about with... Yeah, it's just shenanigans, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, but... No real There plot. was... There was a clip that I did uh, bump into of uh, Leslie Grantham, and he's trying to steal the watch. And I was like, oh, my God, he's a he's a baddie in this as well. Because I was about to say, of course you know who Dirty Den is. You don't yeah. even need to be a Of course, he was kind of from day one, though, wasn't he? I, I can see him on... Uh, yeah, I just Googled it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's always going to be a villain, isn't he? And it even says in the comment, evil Dirty Den up to his old tricks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so he hasn't even been able to shake the name never mind the like the uh the type yeah. of his character um yeah. so i watched episodes one two and then i think it was series two episode one i think yeah yeah so you want to do the pilot and the second episode yeah so basically i'll fly through these because it's like 15 minutes and it's very simple plot so uh basically bernard is this little boy and he's like lazy and he's late for stuff all the time and i don't he just... think he's lazy i just think he's yeah, late he's... all the time yeah he's, he's... harsh okay, to say he's, he's, lazy. Like, he's not lazy he's tardy he's he's tardy um, yeah yeah he's tardy don't lazy lazy would suggest that he wants to be late that's why that's why he makes the wish going i wish i weren't late all the damn time yeah but if someone who was lazy he would just be like yeah i'm late i'm what <laughs> yeah fair enough so um his mum gets him a diary and is, she said um this is why i'm not late all the time and 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 he's like your dad's got one too and he, and, and he really you're supposed to be somewhere else and he's like oh no and he, and he like, kind of runs off um so, that's a typical wife isn't it <laughs> yeah be that um, on the diary yeah you late fool get out <laughs> <laughs> to be honest i speak to my wife and all the time when i say if i if i commit to plans with my mates or something like that i always say can i do this and not i'm not asking permission i'm i'm asking am i able to do this because i don't know if i've already committed to something else um anyway so uh so he basically goes to the, the birthday party and he forgets the present and he also forgets he's also forgotten to put on his trousers so he goes back to get his um the present in his 
they put some shorts on in the end. And then just as he's getting close to the place, he gets splashed by this van. And then he kind of goes inside, he's all wet, and he's, the presents all soaking and stuff. So, And he kind of goes outside and he starts sulking and he sits, you know, sits down by this bin and he's kind of like, I wish I had more time, I wish I had more time. And then this dodgy old geezer pulls up and then gives him a package and he's just like, yeah, cool, I'm burning a deal, I'll open it up. Um, and yeah, it's this kind of pocket watch and it says, um, uh, what does it say on the card? It says something on the card and he turns it over and it's something else. Um, anyway, and it turns out that this guy, the watch obviously stops time and uh, the guy that gave it to him is kind of like not part of this kind of space time continuum thing. He kind of just, he's, he just drives off on his van, even though everyone else is kind of frozen in time. Um, anyway, so basically Bernard uses a watch to go back home to get changed uh, and then to, to, to buy a new present. He just drops some money on the till. He's very honest like that. I mean, he could have just walked out knowing, a, uh, knowing the difference. Um, and yeah, he just kind of walks in and he's chills out at a party. Um, Episode two, Bernard is still tidy with my first notes. Uh, he uses his uh, watch to be on time. So yeah, so he's kind of like always like, you know, he's, he's late for school, but you stop the watch, you go and get his book and this and that. And, that. and he uses his watch to um, cheat on a test. He like can't do his mental arithmetic. Mental arithmetic. So it's like the teacher's like, what's 10 plus 2 minus 5 or whatever? And he can't figure out the answers. So he's kind of going around copying off everyone. Uh, he gets four marks on his test, and the teacher, the head teacher, calls him in because he's not really that good at um, math. So he want to check he's not cheating. Uh, so he, and he uses the watch again to cheat on the teacher's test. Then he gets home and he uses his watch to draw pictures and to write a letter to his granddad. Um, and then his dad says, when he's like kind of ready to go to bed, he's um, his dad said like, he's like, oh, can I just finish this chapter? And he's like, no, you read it in the morning. He stops the time and reads his book. Um, and then, oh yeah, that's it, that's it for series one for me. Um, I watched uh, episode five, Giving Time. And so this episode is where Bernard, he's staying with uh, Grandpa as the parents go off on holiday. And so he's basically having the time of his life with his uh, granddad. They're playing cricket. They're playing a game of Monopoly, playing Cowboys and Indians. And Granddad is teaching Bernard how to smoke, sig- how to do smoke signals. And Grandpa is fixing Bernard's toy. And Grandpa, Granddad is very forgetful. And I wrote, maybe that's where Bernard gets it from. And he forgets his walking stick in the hat. Walking stick and hat in the shop. And yeah, he's using the watch to stop Grandpa from breaking the window. And to prevent fire spreading. So little things like that. Grandpa is reading him a bedtime story but it doesn't work because Bernard still wakes up in the middle of the night because he has a a bad dream. So he's making him a hot chocolate and he's telling Bernard about the the bedtime story that he's like, yeah, I was was reading it while you were here. And Bernard was asking Grandad why he's got so much time to just do all those things, to help me, to play with me, to do all this. And he was basically telling him, look, I've got all this time because I'm older. I'm not really working. So I guess I have a lot of time to do lots of things. And the parents come back early, but granddad says, oh, I haven't cleaned the house up. It's uh, not been enough time. And so granddad's rushing about trying to clean. Looks like he's about to fall, but Bernard stops the watch, gets the sofa so that granddad falls on that. 
cleans up the house, gets everything ready for parents. And the parents walk into a nice clean house. Granddad gives him, and as a sort of present, he gives him time. Not like uh, the time, but like the seed time. And he's saying, you know, maybe it's to grow. And he has a message on there to say to Bernard, the best present, thank you. So that was a really nice episode where Bernard's kind of learning about time. He's learning about, you know, the the, the concept of time and the, the whole idea of like how he realizes that someone can have all the time in the world and maybe someone might not have all the time in the world. And he's learning about how his granddad has all the time in the world, but little does he know that maybe granddad loves having all this time in the world. He loves having a company. He loves um, the idea that he can spend all this time with Bernard. He's never going to like tell him no. He's never going to be like, no, I can't fix this for you. Or no, I won't play this game. Or no, I won't do this with you. Because for the granddad, it's more... It's more, he wants to do it more than Bernard realizes. And maybe Bernard doesn't quite realize that because he's still just a kid. And he's like, oh, I just want to hang out with my granddad and have fun and so on and so forth. But there's a lot more to it. And I I really like that. And I really um, appreciated them doing that. And it's what kind of made me kind of warm to the show and kind of made it a really endearing program. This one, you get introduced to Karen. So... Um, Bernard is every, every, early for everything, and uh, this this girl Karen in his class is wondering why. She sees him like l- last into school, and he's the first one in the classroom and things like that. Anyway, so they're getting dressed, um, getting changed for a school. I think they're in the cloakroom, and you know he puts on his coat and kind of wanders off, and he's forgotten his watch. His watch is on the on the bench. So Karen kind of runs out and tries to give it to him, and then she kind of clicks it, and she sees that this is this special watch. Anyway, so she goes home. And her mum's crying at this picture. It's kind of a wedding photo. It's her and a man like um, back on the old wedding day. And she's kind of clocked that maybe dad's forgotten the old wedding anniversary. So um, she goes to the garage where her dad works. And um, <clears throat> uh, she reminds dad that it's a, dad an- it's a dad's anniversary. And th- so her dad, like, you know, he's calling his secretary, like, you didn't remind me. And he's like, oh, that was the other girl you told to remind you. And um and it's like okay get my wife some flowers book a table here and then get this card sorted out um and she does and she's happy and they go out and have like a kind of romantic night out um whilst they're out she goes to bernard's house but she kind of just ping like appears in bernard's room and he says i got your watch and um then she's kind of like showing him that because i don't think bernard realizes what happens when you stop time and you and you move and then you start time you know for everyone else it's you know blink of an eye kind of thing so um she ends up giving the watch back um to him but she says i've got to do something first and then she kind of like appears next to him gives him the watch back and then she goes and when when bernard puts his hand in his coat pocket um because that's where he had a tear in his pocket that's what why the watch fell out she's sewn the pocket up for him you know while she's got the old watch stopped um yeah and that was the end of that one next one i watched was from series three called borrowed time so Bernard's away. So this is a, a Karen episode. So uh, we learn about this guy called Fergus who sits with Karen and he's always borrowing things without asking. So he's basically taking a pen, taking a paintbrush, taking everything. 
and he's getting all the credit because he ends up doing his work because he's borrowing Karen's stuff. Borrows Karen's chair for lunch. He's borrowing her radio and her rollerblades because Fergus came back and uh, took them and he takes the sackle helmet. Fergus writes a letter and Karen's like, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm going to go complain to the manager. So Karen's like, you know what? Enough's enough. Time to get even. She tries to take a pen from Fergus's uh, pencil case, but that pen was faulty and ink spills all over her. She takes Fergus's knife and fork, but he just ends up taking someone else's. And the same with uh, PE trousers. She goes home and realizes that Fergus takes her bike and her terrapins. And he enters her terrapins into a contest. And it won second prize. And he wins a tenner. And Fergus is like, you know what? I need to borrow a watch. So he's looking into Karen's bag. And Karen's like, oh, hell no. There's no way you're going to borrow this watch. And so the teacher gives him one to borrow. And teacher's like, you know what, Karen? You need to share more. And so again, she's like, you know what I'm going to do? This time I'm going to really teach him a lesson. And so because obviously, you know, he, he Fergus takes money from Karen. And then at this point, it's like, you know what? Now you're, now you're stepping the line. Because if you're taking money without people knowing, that's stealing. And so... Karen is, and Fergus say, like, you know what? No, no, I'm just borrowing it. I'm going to give it back. And he's like, no, you can't do that. And so what Karen does is she stops the watch. She goes to the till. She takes that money off there and then she puts it into Fergus's pocket. And so the policeman comes and he's like, yeah, there's a bit of money missing. Anyone know where it's at? And so Fergus is like looking in his pocket and he's like, I don't even know how this got here. I don't know how it got there. And then I was like, you know what? We're going to have a, a word with your parents. And so Karen's basically, yeah, teaching him, look, you can't be taking other people's money because it's stealing. And so that's where he learns the lesson. And he gets talking to you from the police. She goes back, obviously, using the watch and puts the money back. And now from now on, Fergus is always asking for things and he's always asking Karen, but only Karen. And yeah, that was the um, last episode I watched of uh, that. So I did watch uh, the new Bernard's watch. So this was a new show. Everything's all new, new. And so, yeah, so there's a regional football tournament at Pent Up Primary School. And it's basically the boys against the girls. And the boys are out there chanting, boys are good at scoring goals. Girls are good at playing with dolls. I'm sure, yeah, that that, that won't fly in 2020, but uh, whatever. A group of girls are plotting and scheming involving Nicolette. They lock one of the boys in charge. I think Robbie. They lock him in the, the toilets because he's like putting his gel on. And so Bern is trying to use the watch to find Robbie. And so the teacher's like, you know what? If y'all can't get a goalkeeper, the girls are going to win by forfeit. So you guys need to do something. And so they're trying to find Robbie. They're trying to look for him. The caretaker realizes he's locked in. And so... He's like, you know what? I'm going to let him out. And so, yeah, the, the match the match happens. Robbie comes back. But Bernard has to go in goal because one of the girls gets injured. And Bernard has to pay for the girls. And there, everybody starts to fake injuries, crashes the goals. I think it ends in a draw. And then Bernard 
Bernard and Nicolette are joint winners. And uh, yeah, that was the end of that one. I don't, yeah, I think I can safely say that this wasn't as good as the uh, original Bernard's Watch. It's very, uh, very forgettable episode I watched of uh, of that show. And yeah, that was Bernard's Watch. I mean, I didn't watch any of the new ones, so I can't really comment. But the the old one was still very, very charming. It was a nice, easy 15-minute watch. Uh, very pleasant. Um, super cool, super easy. And, you know, it's a really cool concept. Like, you know, little boy can stop time. You know, a little bit cheeky. You know, does things for his own ends kind of thing. But, you know, nice overall story as well. Yeah. And yeah, it's a case of, um, like you said, it's very, very endearing. The old version. I mean, I can tell you pretty safely that it was the new version was nowhere near as good as Bernard's watch. Bernard's watch was incredibly uh, iconic. And even though I didn't watch it, I reckon even I can recognize how um, iconic it was. And it, I'm, I'm just glad that it lived up to the hype that so many people gave it and it was it was just a really nice endearing show with some nice endearing characters and stories and you know the most important component did it hold up did it hold up absolutely it held up absolutely and yeah really 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 good show and yeah shout out to uh burner's watch Head-to-head time, and we're going to start with uh, Ace Lightning. And this show came out in September 2002, and some of the things happening in the world. Switzerland joins the United Nations as the 190th member state after rejecting a place in 1986. The Vitim event, which was a possible Balayid impact, occurs in Erktust Oblast in Russia. General Robert Gui leads an army mutiny in an attempt to overthrow Ivory Coast President Laurent Bagbo, resulting in civil war. If I said the name wrong, I apologize. Gangs of New York was in the cinemas. And uh, Cleaning Out My Closet by Eminem was in the charts. That's a great song, man. That's really like, is. Those couple of albums were like great as well. Yeah, Eminem show was a really good. This was on the Eminem show. It's yeah, the very, red one when it hurts, very right? good. Yeah. yeah, very good Eminem album. I think Marshmallow's LP is still the best. Is that the first? But one? um, the second one. Which one is the one with Stan in it? Stan was Marshmallow's LP. Yeah, that one and the red curtain one were absolutely amazing. wasn't Wasn't keen on the purple pills one. Purple pills. That's a D12. That was Eminem's group. Yeah, I wasn't in. I wasn't. I didn't like that one. No, but they, they, they were, yeah, they were um, D12. That was like Eminem's uh, rap group. But um, yeah, cleaning out my closet was in the charts. Ace Lightning. So this was a children's television series co-produced by BBC and Alliance Atlantis, which originally broadcast in the United Kingdom. But it was also airing in other countries, such as United States, Australia, New Zealand and South Africa. The show was filmed in Canada, but a program was set in the United States. The program featured live actors interacting with computer animated characters from a fictional video game. The series is significant in that until its creation, live action and CGI had not been attempted to such a huge and constant degree within a weekly television serial. 
The series follows the life of British teenager Mark Hollander who moves to the American town Conestoga Hills with his parents. Most episodes balance Mark's social issues and dealing with the game and the characters and the animated characters, they're all fighting amongst each other to collect amulet pieces. The world and rules of the game are played out in Conestoga Hill. For example, when two pieces of the amulet are connected, a new character or weapon will be summarized. Four human characters learn of Mark's double life, including his best friend Chuck Mugle, girlfriend Cat Adams, and school teacher Mr. Chesborough, who comes to the belief that the characters are aliens, and Mark's cousin Ashley. Another character who is aware of the goings-on is Duff Kent, who is the owner of the carnival, who is shanghaied into being a minion for Lord Fear. An ongoing story was the love triangle between Ace and villain Lady Illusion, who was Lord Fear's mistress throughout the first series, but betrays him in the series one finale. The characters, so there was Mark Hollander, Chuck Mugle, who is his best friend, an overweight, jovial nerd and avid fan of the game. Samantha Thompson, who was Mark's next-door neighbor and girlfriend in the first series. She was like the most popular girl in school. Kat Adams, who was the lead heroine of the second season. Some of the uh, CGI characters, so Ace Lightning, who was the uh, titular hero of the series and the main hero of the video game. Sparks, who is a young, enthusiastic Lightning Knight. Lord Fear is the main antagonist of the series, and he's a 352-year-old leech. And you had Staffhead, who was the Cockney Frog, Anvil, Pigface, and Dirty Rat, Lady Illusion, who was the partner of Lord Fear, and she can also teleport and create bombs. The main antagonist of the second season was Killerbite, and he was known as the Cyberstalker and was created by Rick Hummel, to defeat Ace and prove he's a genius. So, Ace Lightning. This shows. I had no idea this was even a thing. Um, I don't remember this. Do you remember this? I do, and I watched it. No, I mean, I don't even remember it now, and I only watched it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just remember the theme song. It's very corny. It's very basic you got to do what's right no matter how scared you are you have to stand and fight it's very yeah basic you like cgi and all of that goofy this this show was like one for me i was a bit like what the hell um when it first came on and then it grew on me and i was you know by the end of it i was a bit like this is not that bad it's probably the best I can say about it. But and one thing I was like, was playing it with the joystick at the beginning. I was like, oh, joysticks. You remember those? Because <laughs> um, obviously even PC games have moved away from uh, joysticks and just the old keyboard and mouse. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, the I think the, the CGI was very similar to a show that I used to really like called Reboot. So I wasn't bothered by the CGI. Um it was rubbish, but I wasn't bothered by it. Uh, I'm not sure how it measured up for its time. I guess 2002. That's well. It was it was new innovation, wasn't it? I think this was the because this is first... augmented, right? Yeah, it was the first show that really gave this a go and kind of said, "Look, this is what we're gonna do, and this is how we're gonna kind of do it." So, 
Yeah, um, and it's, you know, it's always good acting when you've got actors dealing with things they can't see or hear. Um, maybe there's someone off camera giving them audio cues, but even so, it was very good acting, I think, to, to just pretend the whole yeah. time. Um, yeah. I know it's a whole job, but I mean, like, pretend you can't even see something. But, um, yes, yeah, like I said, it was, it was, for me, I was a bit like, what the hell? And then it did, I did warm up to it. Um, th- I thought that characters were likable. Who's Sam, by the way? I recognize Sam from something we've watched. I 100% I recognize Sam. Um I thought you know because there's always that kind of like bullied character in like American high school things. Um Chuck being that guy and I even though it's in everything I still found it quite funny. I've got one major problem with both shows actually. From I mean from 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 the get go I can hear the Canadian accents. Oh, yeah. I can absolutely. hear that. The, they even say that the, the show is filmed in Canada. It's like everything about it. You've got Canadian actors. You're filming in Canada. Just say he moved to Toronto or say he moved to um, Mississauga or somewhere where in Canada. They, where, for where, where goodness they say they sake. Say I don't know. Some random place. Um, yeah, I, I wrote it down. Even it's uh, Conestoga Hills. That even sounds Canadian, man. <laughs> I, d- I didn't know until someone said about, and then I was a bit like, and then I clocked it. I think in this. Um, yeah, yeah, a boot, a boot. But like the minute Chuck started talking, I was like, he's Canadian. What the hell? But obviously, they thought, oh, people in the UK are not going to tell the difference, and they would be right to see. <laughs> They would be right to assume that we wouldn't know the difference between American and Canadian. But I know better. You know better. And so when I saw it and I heard it, I was like, I'm throwing the penalty flag here. Yeah, see, I know that this sort of thing really bothers you. Like, really bothers you, I think. like, um, But I... I didn't care that much. Um, yeah, you you wouldn't. And like I said, when I was watching it as a kid, I didn't think of, I didn't think twice of it. I thought, oh, American, whatever. But like, obviously, because I've been to Canada, I've been to America, so I can slowly and kind of see the difference between an American accent and a Canadian accent. It might not be so prevalent in Toronto. But the further you go along Canada, then you can really tell the uh, A, a boot. Hey there, buddy. Up Chuck, Chucky up Chuck, buddy. <laughs> you can tell this, you, you, these are Canadian. You're, you're a Canadian. It's like you, you, you're telling us this is, you know, you're, you're in partnership with Canada. You're using Canadian actors. Who the hell you think you're fooling? Well, lots of people, but... I'm watching that now. I'm thinking you ain't you ain't gonna bamboozle me, lead me astray with this thing. And uh, yeah, that 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 did uh, get on my Swede a little bit. And uh, ditto for Shoebox Zoo. But we'll uh, get to Shoebox Zoo. Yeah, Shoebox Zoo's in its own little. We'll get to Shoebox Zoo in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's in its own Shoebox. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Let's uh, let's talk about episodes. Right. Um, okay, so I, I wrote quite a lot of notes for these. I did. I watched the first two episodes to try and get a feel for the actual show. Um, I knew that I wasn't going to watch too much of this show because it yeah. was like, what, 25 minutes long? 
Um, so I knew that I was probably got like two, maybe three in me. I made it to two. Um, and do you know what? At the end of it, I was a bit like, this is okay. Um, <laughs> that's my spoiler. But um, anyway, so my first note was I recognize Samantha. So basically this little boy is playing a computer game with a joystick that I haven't seen for years. Um, and it says on a thing, enter level seven at your own risk. And he's like, level seven? I've never heard of level seven. Boom, roll the titles. Um, and then the house gets hit by lightning. And then the game, video game characters basically escape into the real world. Lord Fear is the baddie. Ace Lightning is the goodie. So Ace um, and Lord Fear having a fight in the back garden. Ace Lightning gets bested by him. And then the boy comes out and then stops anvil this anvil kind of big rhino thing finishing it off and the baddies kind of beat a retreat mark's a little boy's name we learn and parents are back from somewhere you don't really it's not really mentioned where i've i've recognized the boy but i've checked his imdb he's done nothing and i've checked i've checked ace and i don't i recognize his voice but i don't know where from so i've definitely heard his voice from somewhere um so you know you're talking about samantha yeah I just had a quick look, and she's been in three shows that we've covered. She was in Goosebumps. She was in The Noddy Shop. And she was in Are You Afraid of the Dark? So I've definitely seen her, right, whilst doing this show. I must have. You, yeah, if you if you recognise her, then I would imagine that you did see her in at least one of those uh, shows. Yeah, I can't remember where I've seen her, but definitely I recognise her 100%. Um... Uh, the baddies find a hideout in a carnival, which you mentioned earlier. Um, and they're kind of specifically they're in the haunted house part of that. Um, the carnival is now called the Car- Carnival of Doom. They kind of like persuade the carnival guy that kind of runs it to play ball and basically threaten him. Um, Ace Lightning smashes a boy's window when he's sleeping, kind of bowls in the thing, and then and then no one mentions the fact that his window got smashed. That really bugged the hell out of me. His dad comes in and says, you'll be late for school if you don't get up. And he's like, dad, my window's broken. He's like, get to school. I don't want to hear about the window. And then I think, I'm not sure if you see it later on, but it's, yeah, they literally don't mention it again. Um, and then, so anyway, it turns out it's his boy's first day at school, Mark's first day at school. And he gets on the bus and it's basically, um, uh, Samantha, he's with on the bus stop, gets called off her boyfriend's in the back. He, she goes to the back. And it's basically for beginning of Forrest Gump. Um, you know, oh, you can't sit here, you can't sit here. And then one one guy who's a little bit of a dweeb or whatever, you know, lets him sit there. And it turns out that Chuck, it's Chuck is the little boy that he sits next to. And he's like, um, gets travel sick. So no one likes to sit next to him. Um, Chucky up, Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> and then he gets, so basically he goes to school, comes back and Ace Lightning said to him, oh, it's, it takes real courage to go to school and meet people, um, which are not really... I mean, you have to go anyway, so um, whether you're brave or not brave, you're going to be at school. Um, and he says, here's my amulet. Now you need it to become a lightning knight. Um, and then he says, you've got to do right and fear not. And then the baddies plan to kill Ace Lightning and Mark because he's getting involved. And Ace gets hit Anvil with a lightning zap, goes to a haunted house, which is a trap by the baddies, and gets captured. Episode 2 is called The Trap is Set. And the baddies are using Ace Lightning as a charger for the carnival, which I thought was quite funny. Uh, Dad runs over Mum's flowers on the lawnmower. Um, and a boy looks like someone, but I don't know who. I think he was from... I think he looks like the boy from... 
what's it called? Um, School of Rock, the, the drummer. Anyway, so Chuck comes over uh, and they they go to the carnival um, with. So they, Mark and Chuck go to the carnival together. Chuck is he says, "Oh, do you want to play a game? You can be the decoy." And while and basically they're kind of playing the Ace Lightning game, but like. Do you know, like when you say, like, I'm going to play Ace Lightning and you can be Ace Lightning and I'll be this guy. It's kind of that kind of thing going on. So basically, um, Chuck goes and decoys the security guard and Mark goes into the um, to find Ace Lightning and Pigface turns up. Mark runs away inside the ghost train to hide. Uh, he finds Ace Lightning in there. Uh, Mark has a joystick for some reason, but they again, it's one of these things where they show it and they don't reference it again. It's like he's going to use this joystick as like the the you know the kind of silver bullet to to save the day, and then it he you see him using it, and then he puts it back in his bag, and you never see it again. He never mentions it. So, um, Samantha distracts Lord Death, I think accidentally, and then Mark. Oh yeah, because she comes in and goes, um, Mark, what what are you doing? And it kind of distracts Lord Death. Uh, he runs off. All kids escape. Samantha's annoyed because Mark won't tell her what actually happened in there, and she vows to figure out what what's going on herself. Um, Duff is the carnival guy, the the leader of the carnival, gets who's kind of facilitating the baddies. He says um, he goes to Lord Fear and you know tells him this is how it's going to get down. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to work like this. And he goes, actually, this is how it's going down. I'm in charge, kind of thing. So uh, next time, uh, so next. Also, that evening, the carnival's open. Um, all, it's kind of dark. All the kids are going to play. And Chuck stands up to the bully and kind of puts an ice cream in his face and gets chased off by him. Mark goes to find Ace Lightning again. Um, Baddy Anvil is scared of the dark, believe it or not. So he kind of turns off the lights. Anvil gets scared, falls into like, his electric thing and gets electrocuted. Uh, Ace Lightning gets Mark's name right because he always is a kind of carry-on thing where he always gets his name right, calls him like all sorts of different names. Marcus, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, Marcus was the first one. <laughs> then he calls him Mel. He goes, oh, you got my name right. He goes, that's no problem, Mel. Um, uh, so it's a little bit funny. It's not too, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not bad. Um, Sam and her boyfriend playing a game at a carnival and they basically win. They win and um, they said, oh, you could win this bunny rabbit and you can also have another one for free. And one of these bunny rabbits is actually the one of the henchmen of the, uh, what's his name again? Lord, Lord, uh, Lord Fear. Lord Fear. I've written Lord Death at one point. Um, <laughs> um, so anyway, so Chuck's still hiding. Uh, Mark tells Sam to get rid of her bunnies. So basically, Mark knows that one of these baddies is kind of like evil thing. So he tries to like get them off him, but he's obviously acting like a crazy person because he's not kind of telling them why. Uh, he rips up one bunny, but that's a real fluffy toy. And then the other one has a bomb on it, but Ace Lightning kind of gets hold of it, chucks the bomb up in the air. And then the bomb kind of goes off like fireworks, and everyone's like, "Oh, fireworks!" So no one really knows what's what's kind of gone on. Uh, Chuck throws up on the bully because he's on the he's on a ride. But kind of bully chases him onto a ride. They go round and round, and then Chuck throws up on him. The baddies beat a retreat because they don't um, their their plan failed. Sam and boyfriend don't want to know Mark, so Sam's annoyed at him because they ripped Bunny Rabbit off. Uh, and Mark tells Pete, his mate from the UK, what happened. So basically, the whole time Mark's talking to his mate from the UK because didn't say Mark's English in this and he's talking to his mate saying like, oh you wouldn't believe what happened this is happening and that's the end of that those two episodes now I know I kind of blasted through those notes but it was very well paced to show 
Um, there's a lot going on. The CGI was actually not that bad. I mean, you didn't believe it as part of the real world, but I think that was the whole point. Um, um, and I think this was actually quite a successful show. I think it worked. It worked really well um, with the storytelling, the acting, and things like that. I was engaged with the, the kind of different things that were going on. Even like the, the CGI characters, I was kind of, I got them. I understood what they were doing. So, yeah, I I, I think that this was quite a decent show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I didn't, I didn't love this show immensely, but on, oh, on the same wrong. time, I, I didn't love it. I, but it was, yeah, it was, okay. it was quite a good show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't bad. I'll talk about my episodes. I watched four again, so I went all the way to the finale. Game over. So there was a, a lot of to in and fro in happening, and so the final battle is at hand. Ace and Sparks are trying to uh, recruit Random to fight, but he refuses to fight until Ace reminds him that he used to be a hero. And there's a school dance, and basically Pete is basically telling him, look, you can't save the world. Just enjoy the dance. Take your girl out, whatever. Have, 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 have fun for once. And so... Chuck is basically telling Mark that maybe you can delete the the game file and it would delete all the characters. And he's basically telling um, Ace about the truth. And he's basically telling Ace that, look, it's a game. You ain't real. All of this is a game. And because Ace is like to Mark, you know, come on, let's go. Let's fight. But Mark is like, yeah, it's, this game, is it's all a bit, it's all a bit fake. And um, what else happens in this one? Yeah, so they so they're going to the prom. Chuck is worrying because his date Jessica won't come, and yeah, so Mark is basically initially going out with Heather, and obviously throughout the series it was kind of like a running thing where Mark would always run off and do Ace Lightning stuff, and so they're like, "You're not going to run away from Heather this time, are you?" And he's like, "No, no, no, I won't, I won't, I promise, I promise," and then um. What's his name? Duff or Buff, whatever his name is, the guy in the uh, the carnival. Duff. Duff is a carnival guy. Duff Kent, yeah. So he's basically he escapes, and he's basically telling Mark, "Look, they they've gone out of control. They want to take over the world. They want to do this and that and whatnot." And so yeah, Mark ends up going down to the the, the carnival, and he's like, "Look, I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna come back." And meanwhile, at the the dance, Sam's date Brett. And Heather, turns out they've got a lot in common. And so Samantha's like, you know what? I'm just going to leave y'all to it. Y'all can just uh, do your own thing. And yeah, so the Lightning Knights are basically on their way to the uh, the carnival. And uh, Duffy's standing up to him. And Mark realizes that the amulet is going to be in the organ. Because obviously they're thinking, oh, where's the final piece of the 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 the, the amulet? Where's it going to be most likely? And then, yeah, so he has to go to the organ and he has to play the particular tune that Lord Fear always plays. And so he ends up doing that. And yeah, so Lady Illusion in the end, she betrays Lord Fear because she kind of has a thing for Ace Lightning. And she ends up leaving. And Ace is telling Mark, it's never too late to be a hero. Do right and fear not. And so 
Jessica goes to the dance and she's with Chuck and they're basically having a good time. And Mark makes it back and he's like to Samantha, look, I'm really sorry that I've always been away, that I've always made all these excuses. This time it's going to be different. I'm going to be different. You're going to see a new me. And Sam was like, you know what? I kind of like the old you. I like that you always stand up to people, that you're the only person in the school who made friends with Chuck. You stood up to Wayne. You know what? I would have said that this was a pretty nice place to end the show. You didn't need to do a second series. I'm watching that thinking, yeah, it is well-paced. It is a good show. I can see why I, I, you know, enjoyed it relatively when I was um, growing up. But yeah, I decided to go to season two. And Mark, he went home to England for the holidays, but he comes back. And now he finds out that Samantha is uh, attending a boarding school and Ace and Sparks are planning to go to the Sixth Dimension. But Lady Illusion messes up with that when Mark tries to send them back to the game. Ace and Sparks end up being sent back home. But there's a mysterious master programmer and he summons Lord Fear and Staff Head back to the real world. And Mark and Chuck are basically, you know, they're going to a new school. They're going to high school now. So they make the transition from middle school to high school. And they meet a girl called Kat. And she's got a bit of an attitude with her. And obviously Mark's trying to relate to her going, yeah, I know how it feels coming to a new place. And it's not that bad once you get used to everything. And Mark, Mark's parents decide to get a new housemaid, Felicity. And Mark fancies her going, oh, you're pretty, you're all of this, but it's Lady Illusion in disguise. And Lord Fear comes back after Wayne tries to summon him on a scary ride. And we see, I think, Kilobyte basically doing some things. And Mr. Chesborough is back teaching homeroom and he's warning Mark about, look, no funny business, no space aliens or the Lightning Knights. And so Catherine starts to take a liking to Mark and he's rebel ways. And Mark is thinking, you know what? Right. I need to step up and I need to kind of be part of the fight. Lord Fear runs into Lady Illusion. And so Lady Illusion's like, you know what? I'm going to help you. We're going to make it right together. And Lady Illusion has two pieces of the amulet. One of them was a cowboy zombie and he wakes up. And Lady Illusion's like, you know what? I've got plans for this Mark boy. And that's how that one ends. And then the finale was the master plan. And it wasn't as long as the first series. I think the first series was like nearly 30 episodes, wasn't it? And I think the second one was only half of that. So uh, Kat, obviously, she knows. That's one of the kind of significant things about this um, series. And so... She's trying to connect Ace Lightning to the carnival. But when she tries to tell Duff, she ends up, when she goes to the uh, carnival, she ends up being captured alongside Sparks and Random. And Kilobyte, he's planning to um, rule the world by trapping all of humanity within the game. And we learn that uh, Mr. Chesborough is stuck in the game along with the Lightning Knights. And he traps Rick, I think he's Maker. And. 
Lord Fear has to kind of be in the command of Kilobyte. So Kilobyte's like to Lord Fear, yeah, you need to fall in line. I'm the, 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 the big dog in town. I'm the big cheese. And so Lord Fear and Ace form an alliance to take out Kilobyte. And they systematically defeat all the other villains. Chuck manages to free Mr. Chesborough from the game. But Rick remains trapped when Kilobyte restores the amulet. Ace and Lord Fear defeat Kilobyte, blasting him into the game. But then he, Lord Fear, as we all know, he betrays and mortally wounds Ace, who is revealed as Lady Illusion. Oh! So Lady Illusion takes a bullet for Ace Lightning again. Nice. Damn! I was thinking, I didn't even see that plot twist coming. I was like, oh. I didn't see it coming. He was just reading it to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so Ace ends up chasing away Lord Fear. And Lady Illusion dies in his arms. Mr. Chesborough is then condemned as a madman by the police. And in the closing scene, Kilobyte orders Rick to free him so he can get revenge. But he never does. So that's how that came to an end. It's pretty uh, a decent way to end. They didn't just kind of close the book. They kind of sort of left the... Or close the door. They just kind of left it ajar. In the hope that one day they might get uh, renewed. Never say never. And finally, last but not least, Shoebox Zoo. So this came in September 2004. And some of the things happening in the world... Former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher posts a 2 million rand bond for her son, Sir Mark Thatcher, who was under house arrest in Cape Town, South Africa, for allegedly funding a coup plot in Equatorial Guinea. South Korea admits that in the year 2000, its scientists secretly enriched uranium to near nuclear weapon level. A team of astronomers working on the Yapon telescope in Chile believe that they have made the first direct image of a planetary system beyond the solar system the star called 2m1207 is 230 light years away and is much smaller and fainter than the sun Shaun of the Dead was in the cinemas and I'm fairly confident you're going to get 3 for 3 this week American Idiot by Green Day, Green Day. was yeah. in the charts yeah see that, that sort of music was right on my street so um that's a pretty decent album as well actually i thought yeah i mean i i didn't have was it was that one with holiday on it right as well yeah um, boulevard of broken dreams yeah i mean it was it was a good kind of like emo-y kind of um you know punk poppy album which was kind of right my street um and also you've got to mention Shaun of the dead because that's one of the, the best movies ever um, <laughs> I absolutely love Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> I, it's um, been a minute since I saw it, but last time I saw it, I just remember laughing. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, it's great. Um, so it's about things. as British as it can get in every facet and every sense of the word. Shoebox Zoo. So this was a children's fantasy TV series made in collaboration between BBC Scotland and various Canadian television companies, even though it was still set in America. And it was mostly live action, but with CGI used for animal figurines. 
The series was co-produced by Los Angeles-based company Blueprint Entertainment, founded by John Morianis, who previously worked at Alliance Atlantis, where he helped produce another CBBC program, Ace Lightning. Shoebox Zoo mixes Scottish, Celtic, and later Native American mythology. The first series is set primarily in Edinburgh and other historic locations, while the second season moves to Denver, Colorado, though the season was shot in Canada. Denver, Colorado is not in Canada, is it? <sighs> yeah, so the backstory is, is basically Michael Scott lived in 12th century Scotland, where he crafted the Book of Forbidden Knowledge, containing his scholarly work on alchemy and magic. However, the book contained black magic forged from Michael's pride and ambition. He created the series antagonist Juan Roberto Montoya de Toledo, who is a shape-shifting homunculus using the book's magic. However, Toledo was rejected by Michael, inspiring him to seize the book's power and conquer the world. Michael's four students, Edwin, Bruno, Elsa, and his own son, Wolfgang, who are basically the animals of Shoebox Zoo, steal the book to hide it from Toledo, though Wolfgang takes it out in spite of his negligent father. The book is lost, Michael transforming the four into toys and putting them into sleep until a prophesied chosen one, identified as Marnie, possesses magic to awaken them and find the book. And then the second series further expands the backstory. And after being lost at sea, the Book of Forbidden Knowledge washed ashore in Colorado in 1811. And it was discovered by Marnie's ancestor, Angus McBride, an explorer who gave the book to the local Lakota people, led by Chief Stone Bear in exchange for marrying his daughter and discovering the book's magic to be evil. Stone Bear and other chieftains made preparations to destroy the book, casting it down the falls of faith and designed the arrow of truth and bow of wisdom to vanquish its magic. The book disappeared into history once again, though Stone Bear's descendants were aware of its location in the forests of Denver. Some of the characters, so yeah, Marnie McBride, she lives with her father, who was a widower. Michael, who's kind of like the main kind of guy in the story. Toledo, one of the villains. McTaggart, who is like Michael's assistant. The, the four animals of Shoebox Zoo. Edwin, I believe, was the bear. Wolfgang, obviously, the wolf. Elsa, I think, was the snake. And Bruno was the owl. So, Shoebox Zoo. Shoebox Zoo was a perfect example of a show that didn't have pacing. Everything else was there for a decent show. It just didn't have the pace. It was too slow. It was like, I'd never seen this before. I had no idea what the hell the show was supposed to be or what the hell was going on. And I can't see like kids, you know, tuning in week after week for this show because you know, they, they didn't give you a reason to. It wasn't much of a cliffhanger at the end of the episode. I wasn't really that fussed what, you know, what if the animals came alive again or not. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Like, this, it, I think it, if they'd have, like, squeezed the first two episodes into the first episode, um, maybe 
it would have worked, I think, a lot better. But I think they missed the mark on this one. You say that. Who's tuning in? I am. I did watch Shoebox Zoo See, this up. is You're watching this and not Bernard's Watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, this Bernard's Watch came out in 97. This is 2004. What do you want? I mean... I'm probably showing reruns. Repeats, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be showing reruns of Burner's Watch at that point. But um yeah, I was I, yeah, I was I was watching this. Like I said, I was kind of blindly loyal to CBBC at this point. Whatever was on, whatever tripe they fed me, I was going, ah <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I, that was me all along. It's like, yeah, now it's like, you know, in um The Simpsons where they're watching some video about um, when Lisa's what they're watching a video in school about um, how eating meat is good. And Lisa's like, they can't seriously expect us to swallow this tripe. And then principal skin is coming now as a gift of the meat council, please help up to this tripe. And they're all going yeah. to the tripe. I think at that point with CBBC, that was me. Mmm, tripe. I'm going to watch this show. And yeah, I think, I think what you said was absolutely bang on. I agree a hundred percent. It had the makings to be a good show. All of the moving parts, the components were all there. They just didn't know how to put it together. Within the first, within the first three minutes of this show, I was like, this is going to be good because she says something. She says like, oh, I miss mum or something like that. And this, you know, when I'm, she's sad and the dad comes in and she's like, I miss mum. That moment was so well acted. It actually got me. I was like, that's very emotional scene. Um, she misses her mum. She's very sad. Um, and I felt the emotion in that scene. I was like, this is going to be a good show. And then it just didn't really get off the ground from there. Like you said, everything was there. All the ingredients were there. But they weren't mixed correctly i'm afraid yeah and um again she was about as canadian as maple syrup and moose <laughs> so obviously canadian yeah oh i'm sorry should i open the shoebox zoo eh it's so obvious and again it's one of those where they just thought, right, this is a show from North America. Let's just say they're from America. No one's going to know the difference. And again, the same with Ace Lightning. Nobody did know the difference. I didn't. Know, I thought she was American too when I was growing up. Shoot. Mm. I mean, speaking of accents, how difficult was it to um, to understand the the uh, the wizard guy? Oh, the he, Scottish uh, guy. Yeah, I, I understood them fine. I mean, I can't, I can't do, a, I can't do accents anyway. I'm not even going to try. But I, I was a bit like, what? <laughs> I just, I was, he just was like, hey, 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 hey. I was like, just end up being like sounding like Mel Gibson in the, uh, what's that film? Braveheart. Ian, Braveheart. That's, <laughs> I couldn't even think of that. Yeah. Know, I've never seen that movie. I've never seen it. I've All seen I... it once. I mean, I speak to uh, my wife. When, it's when decent we... still. No, Braveheart's decent, you know. Yeah. I, all, when I say that, um, it's like, all I know about the film is that we won. She, <laughs> it does not go down well. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, let's let's go into episodes. Um, cool. So I just watched episode one and two again, um, again to try and get a feel of the, uh, the you know the pacing and the show itself. 
Oh, this so nearly could have been good, this this show. Um, so uh, Manic McBride was born um, 11 in the evening on the 11th day in the 11th month, and she would be 11 years old in that year. So uh, there kind of there would be a celebration, but her mother died only two months before. I mean, you said that all in the intro. So her dad kind of looks likes looking in old spooky shops for like first editions and old treasures and stuff like that. And to be honest, I quite like doing that sort of thing as well. So um, uh, for some reason the shopkeeper was expecting them kind of a bit creepy and um, shows daddy goes, Oh, look, your first editions are over there. And, and he says, you can have anything you want. And she wants a shoebox full of like, um, like toy animals, if you like. So he says, Oh yeah, you can have it. Cause it's your birthday. And, he, and then the dad's like, how do you know it's your birthday? Um, oh yeah. And this is where the really touching moment is with uh, when she says, I miss mum when she's like at home. Um, then the animals in the shoebox are alive. Scottish man, Scottish man comes out of the PC and says something about them owing a debt to him. Didn't really understand him, so here we are talking about American and Canadian accents, and you can't even tell the the regional accent. Yeah, I mean, I was so lost with this with this guy. It's so it wasn't that like, bad, please. I mean, come on, you got no. I don't gotta. I understood him perfectly well. I mean, I I literally did not understand a word he said. Um, the the, the Eddie the Eagle, Eddie the main one, is um Rick Mayo, um which I quite liked, because he was, uh he was a seagull in Animals of Farthingwood, or who was Rick Mayo? He was I a seagull. Know. He was a seagull in something. Um, and he was the he was the owl eagle one in this. Um, so anyway. She puts them to sleep and she can't wake them up again. And because basically she's the master of these things and she can tell them to sleep or wake up. Uh, and then this guy, this, this is the most confusing guy. This is the most confusing character in the whole thing. Senor Toledo, right? So he knows about Marnie, but she doesn't know about him. He arrives in the airport as a, like this Spaniard. And then, and then he's English and then he's Spanish again. And then no one knows what he is. Uh, then he goes to the shop and he smashes the door in. Uh, it turns out he's a shapeshifter and animals wake up in a box and they know he knows where they are. So Toledo rings Marnie's dad and wants to buy the animals in the shoe box and he says they're not for sale. He didn't like that, not one bit. Um, I wrote that like the Joker from Dark Knight. Uh, animals try to escape but they get caught by Marnie. The wizard fights with Toledo. The wizard breathes on Toledo now he's gone somewhere. The animals decide not to tell Marnie about what's going on. And the wizard says, rest up, wee child. Your adventure has just begun. You could probably say that in a better Scottish accent than me. Um, <laughs> um, episode two, well, the wizard with a helmet on is looking into the, Marnie's room. And because he can, like, when he puts his like mask on, he can see. It's like this like show nightmare where they put a helmet on and now they can see. So she's getting ready for school. She locks the door and leaves. Animal went to look, animals went to went to leave, but not Wolfgang. He's tired. Not sure what's going on with the wizard bloke. Looks like the animals went into Marnie's school bag. Marnie's in a mood about going to school. Um, st- sorry, Marnie's in a mood about going to school late, even though it was her fault. Um, uh, old Toledo is back in his English Spanish. Not sure what's going on. Way. Um, Marnie meets a friend and uses her locker because bags aren't allowed. She finds the toys in the bag. Uh, that's Marnie finds toys in the bag teacher comes and says oh this is your locker and then laura 
Laura is the mate's name. Marnie's locker is number 11, of course, because 11 is very um, significant in the show. John Roberts is a new kid. He's a bad boy, but he's a magician also. Marnie introduces herself to the class. Um, they give her a hard time, but she says, Denver has things that will kill you, like bears and things like this. Um, uh, then the animals try to escape another thingy. And then here I've just written very slow burner. Uh, the kids are teasing Marnie and then she throws a book at them and the teacher tells her off. That's, what, that's quite a funny part of it. Um, Marnie runs off back to her locker to see the animals. The bullies come and steal the animals uh, and they say that Marnie McBride and her poxy shoebox zoo. Um, John Roberts comes in and hypnotizes the bullies. They put the toys back in the locker um, and then he makes them a chicken and sends it back to the classroom. Um... John knows what the figures are. He's a kind of very mysterious character. Marnie gets them home and demands answers from the animals, that is. She picks up the teddy and threatens them with it because they're scared of it. And they give the answers. The toys used to be human and students of the great wizard. The wizard imprisoned them. They stole slash lost his book. Um, they take a trip to the UPS to pick up a birthday present from Grandma. That's um, Marnie and her dad. And I said it's better it's the book that they've lost. And uh, old Toledo is watching them for some reason and he wants to stop them getting the parcel and as he jumps up to get the parcel, the wizard casts this, he kind of appears out of nowhere and casts a spell to protect them. Uh, Toledo jumps out of the box, but yeah, so he gets knocked back into the box and they get air freighted somewhere and then I was wrong as a necklace that it was her mum's and that was the end of the second episode. If they'd have mashed that together in one episode that was 20 minutes long, it would have been so much better. Yeah, so they follow... Marnie and the toys are following a series of clues across Scotland, and they discover the book is hidden in the University of Edinburgh's library. Wolfgang is revealed as a spy, but he betrays Toledo upon making amends with his father. Toledo assaults Marnie's home, and he's accompanied by Los Contrarios, who are evil twins of Toledo's magic. However, they get destroyed and Marnie refuses to surrender the book and Toledo retaliates by casting Wolfgang into a fire, killing him. And yeah, so the episode I watched was the finale, was Day of Reckoning. So they're all mourning the death of Wolfgang. Marnie admits to her dad that, look, things have been tough and uh, but I still love you, dad. And the Day of Reckoning is here and Toledo is getting ready. And Marley, Marnie ends up being really late for school and Toledo's in the classroom, but only Marnie can see him as she wants, and he wants to book from her. Marnie's hearing voices and Laura, her best friend, is basically confronting her about her um, behavior. And Marnie's basically telling Laura everything. So she's telling Laura about Shoebox Zoo, telling her about Michael. Laura then sees the animals talking so Marnie ends up going in the locker and they're trying to find the book, I think. And so Toledo has Marnie's father and Laura trapped and Marnie regrets opening the shoebox. And so she sees a, a vision of her mum and her mum is encouraging her to live out the day of reckoning. Marnie ends up leaving the animals behind and says she's got to do this for herself. And the secret of life is in the forbidden book or the forbidden knowledge Marnie gives Toledo the book after taking what she needs 
but the book is a fake and it ends up destroying Toledo once it's in his hands. And Michael is basically telling Marnie that the quest continues and that Marnie has to find the book. And that book was, was, was a fake. And so we know that the book is in Denver, her hometown. Dad and Marnie, I mean, yeah, Dad and uh, Laura are safe. Uh, but the adventure is just beginning. And so I watched season two, episode one, Across the Great Ocean. And Marnie and the Shoebox Zoo are flying to Denver. And Michael and McTaggart are aiding them from afar. Marnie is staying with her maternal grandparents and is aided by her best friend, Kyle Stone, who is a descendant of Chief Stone Bear. Kyle's grandfather, Nathaniel, the spiritual medicine man of the Lakota people, aids Marnie along with Hunter, a Native American spirit who can manifest in a horse-shaped ceremonial dancing stick. Michael learns of a, a second prophecy in which the book will be obtained by the malevolent Dawn Queen who will use its magic to corrupt mankind. Toledo rises as a ghost, murders Michael and transfer, transforms a captured McTaggart into a weasel and he possesses the Dawn Queen's mortal self. And the other stuff in season two. So um, Aurora, De Aurora Dexter is an ambitious television medium and, need and looking for clues to find the book. Elsa suggests that contacting Marnie's mother in the afterlife. However, Marnie is slowly corrupted by the book's magic and she's planning to use it to resurrect her mother altogether. Marnie summons Wolfgang's ghost to lead her to the book's location taking her to the Falls of Faith. Edwin and Elsa free McTaggart, who battles Toledo, but is sent plummeting down and he falls to his death. Marnie finds the book beneath her grandfather's woodshed and it contains an electrical generator which channels the book's energy, but Toledo steals it. Aurora, now the Dawn Queen, restores Toledo's body but enslaves him. Marnie makes the decision then to destroy the book using the Bow of Wisdom and Arrow of Truth, but the toys fear losing their one opportunity to regain their humanity. And so Aurora and Toledo plot to unleash the book's magic on live television. Um, so yeah, Marnie resurrects Wolfgang. So this is the finale, which was called... What was the finale called? It was called... I don't have it written down. So Marnie resurrects Wolfgang to complete the binding spell designed to suppress the book's magic. And the group confront Aurora using Nathaniel's secret bundle to weaken her magic. Marnie then teleports herself to the Falls of Faith, firing the arrow of truth down it, which destroys the book, Toledo, and frees Aurora from her evil persona. At the end of the series, Marnie is now 12 years old, leaves the shoebox zoo in the same junk shop, her mother found them in the years before. And yeah, so this is yeah, the very sad moment where she's like, right, I'm going to have to let you guys go. Someone else is going to have to be the hero. Someone else is going to have to do whatever I did. And yeah, we're going to have to say goodbye. And she says, yeah, she puts them back to sleep and it's all over. Leaves them on the counter. And then in the closing moments, the series narrator approaches and awakens the toy for his own unseen quest. And they're like, what do we do now, master? And that's how Shoebox Zoo came to an end.
So they didn't even get released from their spell. That's quite sad. Yeah, they're still going to be animals. But the, the quest continues. Yeah. I mean, do you know what? It wasn't bad. Yeah, it, just, it wasn't. Yeah. It was, um, it, was, it was a chore to get through the episodes. But, um, and it didn't have to be. It didn't have to be. Um, but everything was there. It was good. The acting was good. Even the little animations with the, with the toys were good. Um, yeah, it was, it was cool. Like, um, I mean, I'm obviously going to give it more of a hard time than I necessarily would. Yeah. So it was one of those very nearly good shows. Very nearly good shows. Yeah. Right. So I guess we have to pick. Yep. Um, for me, it's quite an easy one. For me, the better show was Ace Lightning. Um, I enjoyed the show more. Uh, I thought it was better paced. And I think that's what was in it today. It wasn't like, it wasn't the contents of the show. I think it was just pacing. Um, because I think that on the whole, Shoebox Zoo could have been a better show. But it was way, way too slow. It, like, it took two episodes to figure out what the hell was going on. And for me, that's too slow for it, especially for a kid's show. Um, uh, you know, in a time when you ain't got rewind. TV and on-demand stuff. So, yeah. Um, but I actually genuinely liked um, Ace Lightning as well. I thought it was a cool show. I enjoyed it. It was exciting. Um, it was pretty funny at times. Um, and the accent didn't annoy me that much. Yeah, out of the two, I'm going to pick Ace Lightning. But um, I, I kind of feel the same about both shows in the sense that while they might not, while they might not be like amazing shows... I thought they were both good enough. I didn't hate them. I thought Shoebox Zoo was too long, though. That's one thing. At least cut it down to at least 20 minutes. Then it would have been okay, but it was way too long for 25, 26 minutes. It was very complex. The storyline, the concept, the whole trying to link Celtic and Native American and trying to bring all of that, all of those components. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It it kind of... um, in that respect, I think it kind of, um, yeah, it dragged a little bit. And like you said, all the components, the moving parts were all there. They just couldn't bring it together. Completely agree. I reckon the literally short, mashed the first like two episodes together kind of thing. I think it would have been way more successful. Honestly, do. Um, yeah, on the whole, both great shows. Probably both missed the mark slightly, but, you know. I think both of them were brave in the sense that they were trying CGI in shows for the very first time. So I think in that sense, I've got to give it the benefit of the doubt as well a little bit because this is a new thing. At least they tried it. Whether it was good, bad, indifferent, that could be a different conversation. But at least they had the guts to say, you know what, let's do this. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But we're going to try it anyway. So... I'll give them props for that. And yeah, on that note, I'll uh, bring this episode to an end. Uh, Yesterday's Capers is available wherever you get your podcast from. So uh, download it and uh, give us a listen and give us a holler and shout and all of those things. We're on the socials on Instagram at Yesterday's Capers 1. We're on the uh, socials on Twitter at Yesterday Capers. Facebook is facebook.com forward slash Yesterday's Capers. And on YouTube, it's youtube.com forward slash yesterday's capers. And yeah, if it's not bugging out, then you should be able to listen to the episodes. 
And you can find me on the socials at Instagram. It's Abdullah underscore Molim. And Abdullah Molim, all one word on Twitter. Give me a holler, give me a shout, all those things. And join us next time for another episode of Yesterday's Capers.